And now, more Educate on TalkZone.com. Here's Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show and our ongoing discussion of fair and open testing. My next guest, Dr. Kimberly B. Pierre, is the Director of Learning, Teaching and Assessments, and Grants for the Uniondale Public Schools in New York. Dr. Pierre has served children as a teacher, coordinator, assistant principal, principal, adjunct professor, and director. Kimberly, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Dr. Jefferson. Thank you for coming on. I greatly appreciate it. Um, Kimberly, if you had to put a number on it, how many state exams do students take in grades K through 12? In grades K through 12, well, yearly the students are required in grades 3 through 8 to take the English language arts assessment and a math assessment. So in five grades, that's 10. In fourth and eighth grade, they're required to take the science examination, so that would be 12. On top of the regents examinations that are required for graduation within New York State, which are five, that would be 17. And if the students are going for an advanced regents diploma, that number could go up to 20. Mm. And that's just for students who are in general education. If you factor in students who are ESL or students who are of handicapping conditions and they sit and they take the uh, test to determine their handicapping condition, that number could go up exponentially. Wow. Wow. So in what grade are students first required to take a state exam? Uh, the students are first required to take the state exam in grade three. And that would be for the English language arts assessment and for the math assessment in New York State. Each test is a span of three days. So the English language arts assessment will be administered in a three-day time span as well as the math assessment. So we're talking about six days of instruction to administer those two examinations. Wow. Now, what challenges do schools face to administer mandatory tests? Like, in, like any, if I'm going to any school district who had to do the testing, what would their challenges be? Well, it's a multi-day test, so it's factoring in and how to schedule those exams, especially for students who have handicapping conditions because they tend to have additional time requirements associated with it or other modifications such as uh, another location, having the exam read to them. Some students may have a scribe, so the multi-day exam is a problem. Uh, for students that require additional time, it's a challenge for the buildings. Uh, the time frame in which the exams are offered can be challenging, especially at the middle school level, because they have to test grades 6, 7, and 8. So it's quite a laborious challenge for the schools to administer all of the exams with all of the challenges they face. Now, one of one of my concerns, uh, my biggest concerns with it, I have many issues with the testing, as as do a lot of educators. But one of my biggest concerns is when you're in a environment where even in the, even the middle class, even some wealthy families, both parents are working, and they need to be at work. They're required to be at work. And to, to take days where you have middle school kids, because I know many school districts do this. I know many years ago we were able to test kids and keep the other kids in school. Now there are so many kids testing that those who are not testing are at home and there are not parents at home with them. So I notice on testing days that there are 
middle school age children roaming all over the neighborhood because the parents are not home. You know, they need to go to work and the kids can't be in school because they would disrupt those who are testing. And they have they have they have free reign. So that's one of my biggest concerns is we have these children who are very impressionable um, with free reign through the community during testing times. Does it, does that present a concern with you? Absolutely. And it also depends upon which district you're in because some districts are required to do that because of the size of the buildings. A case in point where we work the entire middle school test, and that's 700 students. So it's physically impossible to test 700 students during a one time frame. So what our district does effectively is we administer the 6th and 7th grade exam in the morning and the 8th grade in the afternoon. Now, that allows us to provide for all of the testing accommodations that we encounter with the students, and it gives us additional time to ensure that the exams are administered appropriately and within a timely fashion and adhering to all of the directives from the New York State Education Department. Wow. That sounds like (laughs) (laughs) it's a big job. Yeah, I can see why schools have one or more people um, like yourself whose full-time job is to really be on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and honestly, I can't, I don't think your position or your, or your responsibilities even existed 20 years ago. And uh, 20 years ago, it was very simple. You administer the test in grades four and eight. Uh, with No Child Left Behind, the requirement changed to administering the exams in grades three through eight. So years ago, you would walk the exams to the classroom, administer the test, and then bring it back. But now it's a building-wide assessment. So it's, it's, it's become quite cumbersome. And in districts such as ours, for the, uh, let's just say, for the ELA exam that just passed, uh, the exam is given, as I said, over three days. So we service 3,000 students in our district that are taking that exam. Uh, each day requires an individual test. So we're looking at handling approximately 9,000 pieces of paper just for the examination in booklets itself. Wow. So it becomes quite cumbersome, not to mention the answer sheets that go along with that. So it's more than just administering the exams. We have to begin to look at who scores these exams because the teachers now have to spend additional time outside of the classroom to score the exams as well. Now, what... Wow. So the teachers are outside of the classroom even after the exam. So they, the kids are missing time from the regular s- schedule to take the exams for as many as three days. And then afterwards, they're missing their regular classroom teachers for like, how long does it take to, to uh, grade the exams? Is that a one day? Usually it's one day per grade. So it could be that, and we're talking about ELA and math, so they would probably miss one both teachers for one day. Okay, so it's so it's really it's really you're losing four days to a week. Yeah, just just for the testing, right. just for those tests, <laughs> those Correct. particular tests. Correct. Okay. Okay. Um, what consequences might a school or a school district face when students choose to opt out of testing? Well, as a part of No Child Left Behind, the requirement is for the districts to have ninety five percent of their students sit and take the examination in order for the districts to meet the accountability benchmark. It depends on how large the district is. In our case, uh, we service 3,000 students. So for us, if 150 students opted out, 
for uh, for the entire district, then we would fail to meet our AYP. And then it varies individually based upon the buildings as to the number of students that are taking the exam and how many of those students opted out. So the opt-out movement does have a major impact upon how the, the schools are assessed by the federal government because that 95% benchmark is a requirement. Now, that's a requirement irregardless of your school's performance level. Like if you're a high-performing school district, um, let's say Gold Coast or Long Island, and you only had 90% of the students take the test, are you impacted? Absolutely. You failed to meet your participation rate. And then there could be a host of consequences that are afforded by the New York State Education Department. Have they acted on those consequences in the past? Uh, To my knowledge, I'm not sure. I can speak for our district because we've always met our 95% benchmark, benchmark, and it hasn't been an issue. But for others, I'm not sure. I think this may be the first round of assessments where there are multiple opt-outs occurring. So Tom will tell how that is handled. Yeah, because I would be curious because um, lately from at least uh, talking New York State and and the decisions made in Albany, it seems that the uh, the Board of Regents, the governor, are kind of backtracking that that the opt out and the, and the noise that's being made has been partially effective. So I would really be surprised if a uh, high performing school district, because there are many of them who have high numbers of opt out, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if they would actually act on the threats of you know, you didn't meet the benchmark. Therefore, the consequence will be X. I would, I would just be surprised because it seems like they are backtracking. Do you think I'm reading that correctly, or, or I, maybe I think you are because I, I don't think that they were prepared for this level of, of dissension amongst the parents. So, as I said, we'll see what what the future holds. I too am waiting to see what transpires because, as you indicated, there are a lot of high performing districts who had hundreds of students opt out. Yes, so it, it is going to be quite interesting to see how their accountability of uh, how their accountability is factored. And I'm curious because we don't have hard data. You know, we certainly haven't gone out and done research to get people's responses. But I'm curious that even though lower performing districts, because of their population, English language learners, et cetera, uh, because they have more single parent homes, lower incomes, the the, the requirement to go to work to support the family, I'm wondering if they may feel the same as some of these higher-performing, wealthier districts, but just don't have the ability to keep their kids home. Uh, well, it's just, our, it's just... our opt-out rate was very low, very, very mm-hmm. low. Um, I believe we may have had 30, and I believe our parents, for that reason that you just mentioned, um, if you keep your students out of school, you have to keep them home more than likely. Mm-hmm. And that requires someone to be there for them and in working class communities, that could be a challenge for some. Yeah, so even in the opt out movement, there's a disparity because of income, you know, because of uh, opportunities. And, you know, so it's, it seems to be a quagmire. I, I think it's a good thing that it's, it's the noise is being made because it needs to be addressed and, and uh, handled more fairly. But uh, even in the opt-out movement, I'm seeing a, a huge disparity between the haves and the have-nots. Mm-hmm. So uh, what impact do you, do test results have on students directly? Like if, if a child took an ELA test a, a month ago, um, what impact is that going to have on their, their their learning? What What data is going to be used to help that child in any way? Well, depending upon their 
score, the students score between a 1 and a 4. And if the students score a level 1 or 2, that indicates that the student will need academic intervention services provided to them during the upcoming school year. And that has a tremendous impact on the instructional program in the buildings because now this means that the academic intervention has to be embedded into the school schedule and into the school programming. So there's always the challenge of large numbers of students requiring these services. Mm-hmm. And generally, we tend not to have the test results till probably late July, early August. So it's a major programming issue to ensure that the students' academic needs are being met once uh, we obtain these results. And then there's instructional programs in the classrooms because grouping students that have varying needs is always a challenge for the techers. So the teachers with varying abilities of students in their classrooms have to group the students cooperatively to ensure that they're obtaining the maximum instruction in the classroom. Okay. Uh, let's hold that thought because I want to speak more on that vein, but I'm sure my producer's probably not happy with me because I was supposed to take a break quite a few minutes ago. So at this time, we're going to take a short break, but stay tuned. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Educate on TalkZone.com. Back to Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show and our discussion with our guest, Dr. Kimberly Pierre. Uh, Dr. Pierre, you mentioned that uh, test results from these uh, three-day tests don't come back until July or August. So really, a child is taking a test in the spring and adjustments for that the test tell us they they need can't be made until they come back to school the following year am i am is that correct that would be correct if you're utilizing the assessments as the sole indicator there are other indicators that educators should be utilizing to make those instructional decisions okay um now now you're talking about local tests and you know and and, and measures yes how the how the, the teachers are assessing the students in the classroom uh, the local assessments, all of that has to be a part of the decision-making process. Okay. Now, we discussed the impacts on students. What impact does the test have on teachers? Well, under the new APPR regulations, the teachers obtain a score based upon how well their students uh, perform on the assessments. The teachers are considered teachers of record, meaning in grades 3 through 8, These are the teachers who have had the primary responsibility of instructing those students. So the scores that the students receive are automatically attached to the teachers based upon uh, a hosting uh, or listing of various parameters such as if these students are ELL, if the students are special education, if these students are free and reduced lunch, all of these factors are are figured in to come up or determine a score that are assigned to the teachers. Now, now are the state test scores that are assigned to the teachers, are they based on the amount of movement a child made and improvement, or is it just a, just a raw score? It doesn't matter whether the child came from a 1 to a 4, it's just, it's just a raw score. I mean, what, how is that being affixed to the teachers? 
their growth is being determined by how well they performed on this assessment as compared to the assessment for last year. So grade three is a benchmark assessment for these students. When they, these students go to grade four, then their score is looked at from how well they performed in grade three to four, how much growth they obtained during that year with the teacher of record that they have. And it's a very complicated formula that the state education department has come up with. I, I could not recite it if I tried. <laughs> But uh, that's essentially how they come up with the growth, growth score. And it's not just for the teachers. The principals also receive a growth score depending upon how well the students perform as well. So it's now, principals and teachers. Yeah. Now, I know there's, 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 there's so much that was – I know they, they've tried to take in a lot into account when coming up with these, these measures via APPR. And for my listeners, because my listeners are nationwide, actually – Worldwide, um, APPR is Annual Professional Performance Review, yes. and there are many who are at, who actually are not accounted for because there are many director positions that don't fall into the principal category, and there are many central administrator positions that don't fall into a category where these measures affect them. Am I reading that correctly, or, or did I? You are reading that correctly. Uh, the assistant principals also fall into that category as well as support staff such as directors as myself. Yeah, and, and there are there are social workers and guidance counselors Absolutely. and <laughs> there there are a lot of people who when they came up with this plan, um, who a lot of people who impact students and impact their ability to learn and learn successfully who are not included in these measures. Um, and that's that's created a lot of pushback um, from within. Actually it's created a lot of strife and division from within. Um, have you ob observed that as well? Yes, I have, and I think that movement is going to continue because the the principals are indicating that, well, there are a host of other support staff people that assist in coming up with how well the students are performing. And I think there will be a movement in the future to begin to include the support staff in that. And, or maybe, and hopefully, uh, come up with an entire different system that is more appropriate for what everyone does. Right. Uh, because to try to measure everyone based on a couple of exams when everyone's jobs are so diverse is, I don't know, I think it's actually absurd. <laughs> it's, it's very challenging, specifically when you're, you're dealing with the students with a lot of social issues, uh, home issues, problems just general life issues that a lot of the students have to face, some problems that we didn't have to face, you know, in our time coming up. The students are, are going through a lot these days, and that's not factored heavily into these equations. And I honestly believe um, that it will, not that I have a crystal ball, but from the, some of the stress that's now on the teachers, because it's already difficult to try to, figure out the formula. I mean, I have to re go back and reference material constantly when That's I'm, when I'm yes. And mm -hmm. now, so if I'm a teacher and I already have my class that I have to teach and now I have to try to figure out how this impacts me, I might have some concerns that, you know what, maybe I don't want to teach. Maybe I'm a highly effective teacher and, and, and I'm best served teaching um, kids who have, you know, serious needs, but because their serious needs might negatively impact me, and my ability to provide for my family, now I'm highly effective, and I don't want to teach those students who, who need me because of the fact that that might negatively impact on me. 
And that's one of my biggest fears and concerns. I concur. There, there are several issues around special education teachers because many of their students will not make that growth. Some of them have fixed IQs, and for them, the repetitive instruction that they give for life skills is what their goals are for the students. And to measure them on assessments, many are indicating that's not quite fair. So I think we're going to see a big shift in how special education students are assessed. I know the State Education Department in New York is working on that, how ELL students are assessed. For ELL students, they're only allowed a one-year exemption for English. So Mm -hmm. if a student has been here for two years and their, their, uh, their command of the English language has not progressed as much, they're still required to sit and take these examinations. So I know the state education department is looking at that as well, and they are looking to make adjustments to that. I, I hope so, because at some point you just have to be humane. You know, I've I've been spending the last three years diligently learning Spanish and traveling to Spanish-speaking countries and being immersed, and it takes time. If someone were to tell me, um, Jonathan, by next year you need to be at X level and be able to master the Spanish exam, that would just be cruel. <laughs> you know, Especially and that's, at the high school, because now these students have to not only learn the language, but sit for the five assessments in order to graduate with a Regents Diploma. It's exceedingly challenging for them. And, and, you're, and you're being very kind, because I know you are uh, uh, a, a kind person, but um, I use the word cruel. Yeah. <laughs> you say exceedingly challenging. I think it's, just, it's, it's flat out cruel. Yeah, and I, I see these students take the exams time and time again, and, you know, it just breaks my heart because the effort that they're giving, I mean, we have to really come up with something to assist them in, in meeting these goals. We really do. Mm. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, we have been speaking with Dr. Kimberly B. Pierre, Director of Learning, Teaching Assessments, and Grants for the Uniondale Public Schools in New York. Kimberly, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Dr. Jefferson. I appreciate having you. Take care. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening to Educate with Dr. Jefferson. Tune in next week as we continue to tackle the truth behind schoolhouse doors.